God's word for our meditation this morning is our Old Testament lesson from Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. This is the word of the Lord. What does the world think of God, of our God? You know, there are many who think of him as this old man with a long, flowing white beard and a white robe sitting on a throne. Or maybe they think of this booming voice from heaven and thunder and lightning. Most of the pictures that our world has come from TV and movies, and what are they? Most of them are mocking, ridiculing our God, making fun of him. And then you've got the skeptics too, don't you? Those who would say, you know, if I got to talk to God, if I got to see him face to face, oh, would I give him a piece of my mind, and I would tell him, why would you do that, or why wouldn't you do this? What does the world often think of God? As someone to mock, someone to ridicule, someone to make fun of, someone to challenge. And you wonder, if the world would, would get a vision like Isaiah had here, would, would there be a whole lot of mocking anymore? Would there be a questioning of, of God and what he does and who he is? Would that kind of shape them up a little bit? And reveal to them who the true God really is? Listen again to what Isaiah sees. He says, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, Two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Boy, those skeptics would have to close their mouths, wouldn't they? Those who mock and ridicule would, would probably cower in fear to see this God sitting on his throne, his, his robe filling the temple, hearing the angels shout, shaking the thresholds, 
and the doors with their shouting. The temple in this vision is filled with smoke to stand before the presence of the holy, almighty God. What a terrifying, amazing sight that Isaiah gets to see. This would shut him up, right? <laughs> what about us? If you got to see this vision that Isaiah did, how would you feel? What words would come out of your mouth? Would they be those of Isaiah? Who says, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Would that be your reaction too? You know, the reason that, that God gives this vision to Isaiah is that Isaiah was living among a people who dismissed God, really made a mockery of him. Isaiah was a prophet to God's Old Testament people, his chosen people, and so many of them had, had pushed the true God aside for other gods for the gods of their neighbors, for gods who, at least on the outside, seem to offer more for this life, more pleasure, more instant gratification. Those gods seem more appealing to them, and, and so they made a mockery of the true God and said, who cares? Sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? The world we live in today. And so Isaiah is given this vision so that he could be reminded and so that he could then go remind God's people who the true God really is. He is not someone you want to dismiss. He is not someone you want to push to the side. He is not someone to be nonchalant or complacent about. He is not one God among many gods. He is the holy, almighty God of heaven and earth. Isaiah gets it. Isaiah understands whose presence he is in. And he cries out, woe to me. I'm ruined. I, I, I've seen God with my eyes. I should be destroyed. You get it? I mean, do you understand who this true God that you know is? Or do we sometimes look like the rest of the world, kind of pushing them aside and, and choosing gods that are going to, we think, help us in this life more and give us instant gratification? You see, coming into the presence of the holy God, is, it's, it's worship. Standing before his throne and realizing who he is and realizing who we are is important. To stand in that place of Isaiah when we come into contact with the Holy God and realize that we deserve to be ruined, we deserve to be destroyed, that we should not be able to stand in the presence of a Holy God. And now, we don't get visions just like Isaiah did, right? 
And maybe you wish you did. Or maybe you don't. <laughs> but friends, you do get to come into the presence of God. Anytime you want. Because where you get to meet with God, where you get to step into the throne room and see who he is, is right here. Through the word. Through words of men like Isaiah. And Matthew. And Paul. And David. And many others. It's here in his word that you get to come into contact with the triune God. The holy, almighty Lord of heaven and earth. Do you realize that? I mean, is that on your mind? What is your attitude as you come into this place? As you come and sit in these pews? Is it, well, I'm going to put my hour in for the week and go on my way. Now is it getting to be, well, it's quarter two, checking your watch and wondering how long it's going to be yet? Right, thinking about everything you got to do yet today or what's coming up this week. Friends, you're in the presence of the Holy God right here. You're in the throne room. What's your attitude towards that? Or, as you open up your Bible at home, and you step into that throne room again, in the presence of the Almighty God, what is it, just another thing to check off on your to-do list? Right, let's just get this done so I can go on with the rest of my day, if, if you really even do it much at all. What's your attitude towards coming into that throne room of God? To being able to see him in the word? Is it that, first of all, of Isaiah? <laughs> Woe to me. Woe to me. I, I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be in the presence of the holy God. This is the God that angels cover their faces from. Holy angels have to cover their faces because of his holiness. Friends, if your attitude towards being in the presence of God and his word has just become nonchalant, complacent, ho-hum, just another thing to get done, another thing you have to do, then I hope and pray you are crying out, Woe to me. Woe to me, for I am ruined. I'm a person of unclean lips. I live among people of unclean lips. I don't deserve to be in the presence of God. I mean, what is it? What is it that causes this, this complacent attitude that we often have towards God and his word, coming into his presence here in this place or as we, we, we are in his word at home? What, what causes it? Is it this idea that, ugh, I've been Christian my whole life. It doesn't matter. I, I go to church, and I sit in that pew every Sunday, and I volunteer, and I give my offerings. That, that's what matters, right? I try really hard to be a really good person and be a good parent and a loving spouse and a faithful employee, right? That's got to count something before God if that is what you're relying on. If that's where that complacent, nonchalant attitude towards God is, because you think you're okay, you've really got nothing you know, that he can, he can point to and say, 
Well, then I hope you cry out today, woe to me. Woe to me. Remember who you are. A sinner who deserves nothing from God. A sinner whose even good works are filthy rags because they're tainted with selfishness and sinfulness. When you come into the presence of the holy God, remember who you are and what you deserve. Nothing but punishment. Nothing but ruin. Isaiah gets it. Do we? But the vision's not over. It's amazing how God responds to Isaiah's cry. Woe to me, for I am ruined. This is what happens. One of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Friends, as we come into the presence of God, as we come into his presence right here in his word, be it here in this building or in our homes, we have to remember who we are and who he is. A holy, just, almighty, powerful God who is at the same time merciful and gracious and forgiving. A God who doesn't send an angel, but sends his Holy Spirit. Who sends that third person of the Trinity himself to come and to give us the gift of faith. Who comes into our hearts to point us to the altar, to the altar of the cross where we see the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God himself in flesh, taking our sins upon himself. And in our place, Jesus cries out, Woe to me, for I am ruined for them, so that we can be redeemed, so that our guilt can be taken away, so that our sin can be atoned for, covered over, Friends, just look at this vision. Isaiah is doing nothing. Nothing but standing there and receiving what God is giving him. Cleansing him from his sin. Assuring him that you are forgiven. And you are safe. And you are secure. And you can stand in my presence because I have made you clean. It's God himself who does this. It's God the Father who planned it out. It's God the Son who comes to carry it out. It's God the Holy Spirit who gives us the faith to believe it and to keep us in that true faith. Because as that temple was filled with that robe of God, so we, in our baptism, are clothed with the robes of Christ. His robes of righteousness so that we can stand before the presence of God without fear, without trembling. Every time you come to this table, 
It's not a live coal that touches your lips, but it's the very body and blood of that Son of God in that supper that touches your lips and assures you your guilt has been taken away and your sin has been atoned for. Dear friends, that's the other part of worship. It's not just remembering who I am and what I deserve, punishment. I don't deserve to be in God's presence, but worship is also knowing that this same God has shown me mercy and has poured his grace upon me and has carried out the work of my salvation and given me the faith to believe it and hold to it and to be able to stand in his presence clean. Washed clean in the blood of that lamb, Jesus Christ. To stand in his presence even right now we can come here with hearts full of assurance and faith and certainty that God's desire is not to destroy us, but to forgive us and to love us and to give us purpose. The vision is not over yet. Isaiah is led to see who he is, a man ruined, a man who deserves to be destroyed. Woe to me, he cries out. But yet he sees what God has done for him, his triune God who loves him and forgives him. And then he overhears the Lord talking. I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Isaiah has just experienced this amazing thing, going from feeling he's ruined to knowing what it feels like to be redeemed. From going and seeing God as this, this holy, just God who he should deserve punishment from to being a gracious, merciful, loving God. And as soon as the question is asked, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Isaiah's hand is the first in the air without even thinking about it. Send me, Lord, as your servant. And doesn't that have to be our reaction too? Doesn't that have to be when we know who we are by nature, but yet what God has made us in Christ Jesus? That we were ruined, but now we are redeemed. And this is where our worship continues. That we get to say, here am I, Lord, send me. Send me to do your work. And that's our attitude, right? Right? Should be, shouldn't it? Maybe sometimes it is, and maybe sometimes it isn't. And what about those times? Those times that I look back on my life, and I look back at the, the state of my heart and, and, and what I've done with my, my life and, and realize rather than putting my hand up and saying, here am I, send me, Lord, send me out to do your work, I've, I've cowered behind others and let them. I've seen my time and my abilities and my money as mine <laughs> and not as 
the time and the abilities and the gifts that God has given me as a gift to use to serve him and serve others. I look at my life and I look at my attitude and, and often it's not here am I, send me, but send them. Send somebody else to do it. But the amazing thing about our God is that he even has an answer for that. For all the times that we've, we've come into his presence and we know what we deserve, but yet we know by what God's grace we have been given through Christ Jesus, and yet we've still had this nonchalant, complacent, ho-hum attitude towards our relationship with God and what our lives are all about and what he would have us do. You know what God's answer to that is? God himself says, send me. The Son of God himself said, I will go. Here I am, the Son says, send me. And I will go and do what they don't. I will go and meet the demands of the law perfectly. I will go and I will have that perfect, selfless attitude. I will go and live a life of service to God and to others perfectly. And then I will go to a cross and die for all the times that your people have stood back and let other people serve. For all the times of, of selfishness and self-serving attitudes that they've had, even though they know what you've done for them, Heavenly Father, I'll go. And I'll do it. And he did. You see, it's in that work of Jesus, in, in his in that perfect life of selflessness, in that perfect life of going and living the Father's will, of a life of love for others, that we're set free. You see, when, when, when God asks, who will go for us and whom will I send, it, it, no longer is it, well, I suppose it's got to be me, because no one else is going to do it. No longer is it, oh, let somebody else do it. Instead, when we're set free from have to, our hand is the first in the air. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Send me into this world to live for you. Knowing everything you have done for me. Knowing everything that you continue to do for me as you forgive my sins and empower me with that gift of your Holy Spirit. And still knowing what I have, that I someday will get to see you with my own eyes. I will get to be in your presence forever. That's already mine. Because of all this, before you know it, your hand is up. Without even thinking, here am I, send me. Dear friends, you're in the presence of the triune God right here, right now, this morning. Woe to us. We're people of unclean lips. But see the mercy of God. Your guilt has been taken away. Your sin has been atoned for. And now listen to the voice of your triune God. Will you go? Who am I going to send? Who's going to go and be my love and my compassion to this world? Who's going to go and raise to know children in the, fear, in the fear and the admonition of the Lord? 
Who's going to go for us to preach this message of salvation that's meant for all? Who's going to go to use their time and their talents and their treasures to further the work of the kingdom? Who am I going to send? The Almighty God asks to go and to love and to serve in simple acts throughout the week. Who's going to go to make my love known to the world? Dear friends, you see your life. Your life is worship. Paul writes in Romans, he says, in view of God's mercy, in view of everything that he has done for you, in view of, of not destroying you but redeeming you, in view of what he has made you, a forgiven, loved child of God, he says, in view of that mercy, offer yourselves as living sacrifice. This is your spiritual act of worship. Friends, your life in this world is worship. It's your opportunity to thank and praise and glorify God for all that he has done for you in Christ Jesus. That's what your lives are about. To go and to live in that peace, to go and to live in that forgiveness, to go and live in that certainty that you are his. To go and live and make his name known in everything you do. Friends, as you leave here in just a little while today, remember that your life is one of worship. As you go and do the laundry and make meals, as you parent your children and love your spouse, as you go to your job, wherever you go and whatever you do, it's, it's your opportunity to worship God. You've been in the presence of the Holy Almighty God this morning. But you get to go and remain in His presence, in His mercy, in His grace, in His peace, knowing who you are. Friends, your life is worship. Your life in this place is worship. Your life in your home is worship. Your life in your workplace is worship. Your life in this world is worship. And may our continual prayer be, Lord, send me. Send me to go and to worship you with my lips and my hands and my heart, with my life. It's all yours. God grant it to you.